Hello and welcome to the VBAC Home Birth Stories podcast. My name is Ashley Winning and I'm the founder of the Motherhood Circle and the creator of the Journey into Motherhood program. Are you wanting to learn more about vaginal birth after cesarean section and find your confidence to birth the way you feel is the best and safest for you and your baby? Spending too much time worrying about the what ifs and questioning if your body is capable of vaginal birth. Well, that's about to change. This podcast is for women wanting to learn about VBACs, especially home births, and for professionals who want to learn more about how to support VBAC women home birthing. Nothing is off the table. I invite you to connect with yourself, find your own voice and strength to create this pregnancy, birth and motherhood experience you desire. You totally deserve this. If we haven't met before, let me tell you a little bit about me. I'm a mother of two, I'm a doula, a motherhood guide, and have had two unplanned and unneeded cesarean sections. And I'm planning my first home and vaginal birth, so it'll be a home birth after two cesareans. I'm here to support you along your journey to discover and create your positive pregnancy, birth, and motherhood story. So feel free to reach out at any time if you want support. Now let's get started. Hey, it's me again. I wanted to let you know that I'll soon be opening my doors again to my online program, Journey into Motherhood. For pregnant and newborn mothers who want to feel calm, confident and connected in your journey into motherhood, you'll have access to me as your doula to support you in your journey along with other like-minded mothers. And I will support you to be your own advocate, help you birth on your terms and create the postpartum of your dreams but spaces are limited so I can keep the circle safe and support you in the way you deserve and need. So contact me today to find out more. Hello and welcome to another episode on the podcast. I just wanted to jump in before this episode starts and just apologize for the really bad Uh, quality audio on my behalf. I think I was heavily pregnant at the time and I was using some headphones to get through the interview and Brina was in America on the other side of the planet so she was outside and there's quite a bit of background noise there so I do apologize for that. I hope that you can sit through this episode because it's a really great episode. Brina is such a strong and courageous woman who went and had a a home birth with a classical scar, which is something that a lot of women are told they're not allowed to have a VBAC after a classical scar. I think there's a lot of misconceptions around special scars as a special scar woman, woman myself. Um, I find so much courage in, in Brina. I am so excited to share this episode with you. I hope that you have so many takeaways from this episode and you learn a lot um, in regards to preeclampsia, special scars, home birth, and also hear this story about how Brina found an Amish uh, midwife to support her in her birth as well. Um, So as I always say, sit back and relax and enjoy this and I look forward to connecting soon. Hi, Brina. Thank you so much for coming on to the show today. I'm really excited to have you. I've been looking forward to connecting with you, actually, because you have a really uh, amazing story to share and you have joined us from across the world as well. Um, yes. So please, <laughs> yourself. I'd love, we'd love to hear more about you. Um, well, my name is Brina and um, I'm from near Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania in the United States. And... Um, I married my husband, Michael, for about three years now. We have two daughters. Um, the oldest is two, and our youngest is six weeks. Well, thank you very much for jumping on so soon after your postpartum, into, into your postpartum after your birth. Yes, of course. I'm so thankful to have this opportunity to share my story. Oh, I'm so glad to have you on. So usually what I ask is that we start with your first pregnancy and then your first birth, and then go from there. Okay. Um, so I got pregnant in November of 2019, the first pregnancy, and um, I had a really rough pregnancy from the beginning, um, really severe morning sickness, and I just didn't know how to handle that. So I really just wasn't eating because I couldn't keep anything down, and that set the tone for a really unhealthy um, pregnancy. So by April... Um, 
and I, let me back up a little bit. I was seeing midwives at a freestanding birth center and um, planning to have an unmed unmedicated birth at their center. And um, so in April, I had a prenatal visit and my blood pressure was really, really high. And um, the midwife asked me if I'd ever heard of preeclampsia and I hadn't. And um, she told me I needed to go to the hospital for some tests and monitoring. So, you know, hearing that I thought, oh, I'll be home by this evening. <laughs> but um, that wasn't the case. Whenever I got to the hospital, they said um, I needed to be prepared for my daughter to be born at any moment by emergency cesarean. And um, about, I was only about 24 weeks pregnant at that time. So that was extremely scary to hear. Um, yeah, definitely. We had the, yeah, we had the NICU team come in and explain what that would mean. And uh, it was just very, very scary. But um, so I was in the hospital for, I think four days. I arrived on a Tuesday and the fourth day on Friday, they said um, it really couldn't be held off any longer and that um, her best chance was to be born um, that day. So my husband and I um, were just trusting that the doctors knew best. Um, looking back, I wish I had known a lot more about, um, I was very naive in my first pregnancy, I think. And um, for my second pregnancy, I ended up doing a lot of research on preeclampsia and came to realize that the care I received in the hospital was not um, in my best interest. So they um, didn't allow me to eat or drink anything for four days. And they gave me wow. diuretics through my um, IVs. And that just... Wow. You could really accelerate for four days. Yes. Yeah. That's crazy. It was terrible. I was confined to a bed and um yeah, so that was the worst thing that um I actually think could have been done for me to accelerate the problem because there's been a lot of research that I've since learned about preeclampsia and that proper nutrition has the ability to um reverse those complications. So I get frustrated looking back because I think my daughter could have been spared of so much if I had known more, but I didn't and God had a plan for everything. So I just trust that um, it's all used for his glory in the long run. So um, Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> I really wanted to have uh, my daughter vaginally, but they made me um, believe that she wouldn't survive that. So they just really strongly advised a cesarean due to her extreme prematurity. So my husband and I prayed about it and just decided to trust the doctors because that's all that we knew to do. So um, yeah, on Friday afternoon, it was April 20th, 2018, um, Aurora Ruby, my our oldest daughter was born and um, <clears throat> she only weighed one pound, eight ounces and um, was 12 inches long. So she was extremely tiny, a micro creamy, they call them. So um, when they're that little, so. Um, and then we spent 104 days in the NICU and um, it was a long, long journey, but she's two now and absolutely healthy with no health issues whatsoever, which is um, a miracle because they did not um, actually think she would live more than a couple of days, so. Wow. It's amazing how fun. And, and so when you were going through this whole process, you obviously had four days before, you know, before you went in for this emergency cesarean. Did they explain to you how they were going to perform the cesarean or what sort of cesarean it was going to be or explain to you the reasons why you needed this versus um, vaginal birth or any, was anything sat down and explained with you about some of those yeah. risks and what was happening? I was presented with a, con a consent form for the cesarean that said I could have a hysterectomy or die during the surgery. So that was very scary, but um, I just thought it was what was best for my daughter. So that's what, you know, I ultimately did. And, um, and you had a yeah, classical as as cesarean, didn't you? 
Right. They told me that um, because my pregnancy was so premature, the lower segment of my uterus was not developed enough to make a low transverse incision. So they said they would try, but there was a, um, a great likelihood that they would end up doing a classical, which they said would mean I could never have a vaginal birth in future pregnancies. And um, that was really upsetting to me, but I guess I was just hoping that wouldn't be the case whenever they you know, got in there and be able to do a low transverse after all. But um, I also just thought, you know, God has presented me with this baby right now and that this is, um, I need to make the best decision for her at this time. I can't think forward to future pregnancies right now. That's just not um, where I'm at at this moment in time. So, yes. So they said, because the lower segment was so um, underdeveloped, they had to do a classical. And shortly after um, I came out of the surgery, they told me that um, all my future babies would need to be born by repeat cesarean at 36 weeks, or I would have a uterine rupture. And there was just no question that was that. So um, I couldn't really process that at first though, because my daughter was in the NICU and that was what we had to get through first. So yeah, does that answer your question? Yes, definitely. And how did you, after you'd had your baby, how did you go with healing and also your stay in the NICU with you, visiting your baby? How was your emotional well-being and your physical recovery during that period of time? Um, it was very, very, very difficult. Um, emotionally, I, I kind of was barely hanging on, just trying to be present for my daughter's sake and um, being an advocate for her in the NICU. So um, 104 days, we were there from April until August. So um, and during that time, I was there every single day and about halfway through, I just started sleeping there at night. So I didn't leave the hospital for um, the second half of her NICU stay. And the only reason I didn't the first half was because um, of my cesarean recovery. It was um, I could hardly walk for the first like week, I would say. Um, the pain was just like nothing I'd ever felt before. I just, walking was like brutal. So yeah, um, not an easy recovery, I'll say. Yes, it's a, it can be a really challenging recovery and I suspect maybe with your type of scar, it would have been even harder than the vertical um, scar as well, the lower scar, I should say. Right, yes, I've questioned that myself, if that had anything to do with it, or if I'm just have a lower pain tolerance than others, I really don't know. But um, yeah, it was not a walk in the park by any means. Mm. So um, when we finally got home from the NICU, um, I started trying to do some research about VBAC and um, everything I could find just said it was not possible for me and that only low transverse scar um, cesareans were candidates and um, the risk was just unacceptable for me. So um, eventually after close to a year of looking for answers about it, um, I came across the book Silent Knife by um, Nancy Wainer. She's a midwife in um, Massachusetts, I believe, yeah, near Boston. And um, I decided to contact the author of this book. I had no idea, you know, if she was even alive and where in the world she was, but I ended up finding her on Facebook and I sent her a message and she was so wonderful and willing to talk to me over the phone. So um, she spoke with me over the phone and she was the first person, you know, that told me this is definitely a possibility. I've actually assisted with uh, VBACs on classical scars, and you can definitely do this. And that I just cried as soon as she told me that because, you know, to have finally have um, to hear that was just amazing. So, um, and it was shortly after that that I discovered the Special Scars Special Hope Organization, which I think is actually how I met you. Um, yeah, probably in that group. group. Yes. Yeah. And that was so inspiring to see so many other. Um, women in that group that just had VBACs on all kinds of different scars and um, mm -hmm. uh, VBAC on um, special scars. But 
whatever I could find, I just soaked up. My husband got really sick of me, I think, um, like retelling all this information to him. But um, I just would get so excited. You know, the Landon study was one that um, really um, inspired me because um, I think out of 105 women in the study, two of them, 105 women, I should say, with classical scars, two of them had a uterine rupture. So that puts it at a 1.9% um, chance of uterine rupture for a classical scar. And um, I looked at it like, well, then that means I have a 98.1% chance of being successful. And that's pretty great odds. So um, there's, a, there's a number just, of studies that circulate. And I've been in conversations with a lady here in Australia who's looking at having a classical, a few actually, who were looking for studies. Mm -hmm. And there's studies that some studies will say, you know, 12%. Some studies will say ha have a figure of, you know, lower. And so there was kind of a discussion about yes. that. And yeah. so it's interesting at how little there really is, like study-wise, because obviously, yeah. you know, women are, you know, probably told that they can't, you know, it's too big a risk. Mm -hmm. um, so once you had found that study, that was your number that you were sticking with. And what did you kind of find before that? And what were you finding before that study? For the I wasn't risk? finding any um, numbers. Yeah, no, like actual percentages until I found the Landon study. And I think it's important to consider, this is something I learned from um, the VBAC Link podcast. I'm not sure if you're familiar with them, but they were hugely influential to me as well. Yeah, and, um, absolutely. They, yes, they have an episode about... Um, the risks of uterine rupture and they talk about how there's different um uh, i guess i'll say stages of rupture like there's a dehiscence a window and then a complete catastrophic rupture and um, a lot of the studies that cite higher chances of rupture are including um dehiscence or windows so i'm sure you're familiar with this already but for the audience whoever um <laughs> you know doesn't yeah, know about that it is really important because people think that it's a complete rupture right across the stomach or whatever. Right. When it could just be a little window or something like that, which isn't going right. to give you that catastrophic event as, you know, a full rupture would. Yes. Yes. And may not even affect your chances of a VBAC because the only way to tell that that has occurred is through a repeat cesarean and it may have been unproblematic. So um, that was something that, um, I kept in the back of my mind and took everything with a grain of salt as I would see those higher numbers. And um, yeah, so <clears throat> um, whenever I started thinking about the possibility of getting pregnant again, I, I was, there's a lot of fear surrounding that idea to me because I'd always wanted um, a big family. My husband and I decided to start a family young. Um, and we probably, you know, would have had, I guess we came to the realization that the first um, experience was kind of stopping us from wanting to have more children because we were afraid that um, it would, you know, history would repeat itself. So I just was so, um, it was important to me to do as much research as I could about what happened to me. So I did a lot of research about preeclampsia and kind of how I mentioned before um, how nutrition has the ability to um, prevent complications like preeclampsia. Um, so I discovered the Brewer diet, which um, if anyone listening um, has had a history of preeclampsia, I just highly recommend um, looking into that diet. It is, um, I followed it to a T, the best of my ability in my second pregnancy, and I had um, no complications. I was able to carry full term and um, have a really healthy pregnancy. A lot in the groups when people talk about it or high blood pressure, the brewer's diet. Can you give us a little bit of an example? Obviously, the viewers can Google and go find that diet, but can you give us a little bit of an example of what that diet kind of consists of? Sure, yes. So um, there was an American obstetrician, Dr. Tom Brewer, in the 1960s and 70s. He uh, began realizing that his patients with preeclampsia were also malnourished. And um, I believe that he did research and um, found, you know, he's not the first one to come up with this idea. There's been research for hundreds of years about um, nutrition having the ability to prevent these complications. So 
he formulated a diet outline that consists of a minimum of 2,300 to 2,600 calories each day, 80 to 120 grams of protein each day, and um, healthy salts to taste. So, um, and that's best accomplished through healthy whole food sources and like frequent small meals. Because it can seem like a lot of food, but um, whenever you break it up like that and you're eating from healthy sources, your body needs that nutrition to grow a healthy baby and placenta. So, um, yes, yeah, so that's kind of what the diet consists of. And um, funny thing, they also recommend against using um, diuretics and herbs that have diuretic effects during pregnancy because that can um, accelerate the um, blood, blood volume depletion, which, um, you know, preeclampsia is whenever you're, um, um, sorry, I'm getting tripped up trying to explain this. <laughs> I feel like I'm not doing a very good job. I apologize. <laughs> no, I think you're doing a great job. Um, so in pregnancy, your blood volume expands a great deal to um, accommodate the higher circulatory needs of pregnancy. So um, it does, your body yeah. needs proper nutrition to accomplish that task. And um, diuretics can work against that, basically. So that's why, as I mentioned before, my first pregnancy, not only did they um, starve me of anything to eat and drink for four days, but they also gave me a diuretic, which within mm -hmm. hours of having that was when they said my daughter was not doing well on the monitors and needed to be born immediately. So um, finding all that out was a little bit hard to take because I just, you know, I would do it all over again for my daughter, but I just yeah. hate everything that yeah. she had to go through. That keeps me up at night sometimes. I have to give it to God daily because, mm. um, you know, everything's okay now, but you just think back to what I saw her go through that she doesn't even remember, but um, it's just hard to see your baby, you know, suffer like yeah, that. So extremely, extremely hard for parents to go through that, that experience. I, I think I saw... A uh, research study recently, just I was watching a documentary on preemie babies and up to 80% of parents, you know, suffer postnatal depression because mm -hmm. it's such a traumatizing and challenging time for parents with babies in that situation because you're going up yes. and you're going down and you're going up and you're going down and yes. you don't just get to bring your beautiful baby home with you, you're still stuck in there being told what you can and can't do kind of thing. And like you said, you right. had to become an advocate. So, absolutely. A huge thing for me with becoming an advocate for her was um, breastfeeding. I was very, breastfeeding was very important to me. I was sure that um, it's what I wanted to do and I believed it was to be best for her. And um, the NICU doctors just told me it wouldn't be possible because she would always need um, a high calorie formula and that she would need to be bottle fed. And, um, mm -hmm. but I, <laughs> that's why I moved in there and I, didn't leave her room and I, um, I, there was a wonderful lactation consultant at the hospital who really stood up for me and she helped me to use a supplementary nursing system, which is like um, an alternative to using a bottle where you can still have baby at the breast, but feed them, you know, the NICU wanted her to have this formula. So um, that really helped her to um, understand breastfeeding and she's actually, I'm still, I'm tandem nursing now. So we were able to exclusively breastfeed once we left the NICU and um, yeah, she's two now and still tandem nursing. So that's just a, like uh, something I love to share with everyone because a lot yeah, of well me parents are told that's not possible. So it is. Was that, like a little, was that like a little line that they put down to your nipple? And so she was like kind of sucking on your nipple. Is that what was happening? Yes, yes exactly. Yeah, cool. Okay. Yeah. It's good to know because people, we, we also hear statistics and studies, you know, a woman who's had a cesarean is less likely to breastfeed. But why is that the case? And quite often the case is because, you know, first of all, a lot of them have already put the thought in their head that I'm not going to be able to breastfeed because I've had a cesarean. Or, um, but the truth is, you know, sometimes babies are offered formula. Mothers are uh, separated mm -hmm. from babies. There's no one advocating for mum to, you know, get help that proper breastfeeding support and so when we understand the reasons why we can overcome those obstacles 
and meet our breastfeeding or, you know, personal breastfeeding goals like you have. So high five. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so uh, I began you to feel... So, you okay. decided to... Oh, sorry. Yep, you're telling us about your preg- next pregnancy journey and whether you decided yeah. to or if it was a little surprise. Yeah. So after I um, had learned everything that I had been able to find about um, VBAC and then the Brewer diet, I... Um, it was around that time that I started feeling convicted that I was living in fear and I talked to my husband about it and he agreed that we just needed to um, give our family planning over to God and put it in his hands and just trust that, um, you know, um, he had a plan for us, whether, whatever, whatever that would be. So um, it was pretty much immediately after that, that I got pregnant again in November of 2019 this time. So um, my due date, was actually um, within days of each other of my first pregnancy. So it was really um, healing for me to be able to carry that pregnancy to term over the same timeline as um, my first daughter. It was kind of like a way of, to me being able to like right the wrongs that happened the first time and just, um, it was just really neat how God orchestrated that in my life. So yeah, it was, um, really um, amazing passing that April date, you know, that I had gone to the hospital and my blood pressure being normal and feeling good. I wasn't having migraines or swelling like I had been in my first pregnancy. So, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit again. Um, Mm -hmm. Whenever I first got pregnant with my second daughter, I began to search for a provider and the birth center I had been with originally would no longer take me and um, the hospital that I had my cesarean at um, they just required a repeat cesarean at 36 weeks no questions asked so um, my medical records actually state patient understands that um, repeat cesareans at 36 weeks are necessary for all future deliveries and it's just funny to me because that's not what I ended up doing but um, yeah so I started looking for a home birth midwife because I thought um, after everything I'd learned about natural birth, I just felt like I would be safest at home and have my best chance um, of being successful in an environment where I was comfortable and felt safe and, and in control. So um, a lot of people kind of thought I was a little crazy for that, but I started feeling like I would just be safer actually at home rather than in the hospital even if I could find one that would take me, which um, my options were driving like hours or out of state. So that wasn't just, it wasn't something I was really interested in doing. So um, I ended up writing a letter to the Amish and um, in Pennsylvania is a big area for the Amish. And um, is this because you, you couldn't find any midwives who would support you or? Right. There was one I found um, way across the country from me and she was willing, but um, it would have been extremely expensive. And we were willing to, you know, if that was what I needed to do, um, we would have, you know, made, made it happen. But um, I just wanted to continue looking and um, see if there's anything that would work out closer to me and, with a little bit more ease so mm. um, and what put your when, mind what what kind of planted the seed of Amish to kind of um, I think it was them? yes I think it was my mom she um I think gave me the idea you know like the Amish have home births and who's mm-hmm. helping them like get in on that so um mm-hmm. And then I, I think it was also in the special stars group, someone recommended that to me as well. And it reminded cool. me of my mom's suggestion. I thought, you know, I really should try that. So um, my friend had um, Amish uh, help renovate her home. So I contacted her and I said, do you have an address? I could write to one of their wives and ask, and ask who um, is their midwife. And that's what happened. And the Amish family was extremely helpful and, um, they went to the Amish midwife who has been a midwife for um, over 40 years. And I believe they said she averages about 160 births a year. 
So you can imagine that's a lot of experience, you know. You people, said 40. Um, 40. Was that, sorry. Was that 40, 40 years she'd been a midwife? 40 years, yes. Yeah, mm -hmm. wow. It's a long time. And by then, you know, a lot of obstetricians are retiring. So she was still going at it. And um, yeah, I actually do think she was um, looking to slow down. And uh, there were some newer midwives that would be um, coming up. But she was willing to take me. And um, that meant so much to me because she, I felt very comfortable having someone with so much experience in, in natural birth. And um, so she had the experience, but... Did she have the, you know, the qualification, the university degree? Oh, no. Yeah. That, and no, that actually, again, with, I'm sorry, what was that? Sorry. Yeah. I just wanted to make that clear for the audience as well. The difference between a midwife or some, some people call them midwives um, and traditional right. midwives. Correct. Yeah. Um, yeah. She was a, a, I would call it a lay midwife. Um, and I actually felt more comfortable with that because I think that the original midwives I had seen in my first pregnancy whenever they sent me to the hospital um they were more of the did you use the term medwife yeah, they were more of, that's what yeah, yes yeah. especially in America um I yes, think the term sure. used a lot yeah yes <laughs> and um so I was happy to find someone quite frankly who wasn't indoctrinated with um so many interventions and that's just the opposite of what I wanted. So I was so thankful to find someone who, um, you know, there's, there's a difference in being, um, you know, an expert because you have so much experience. And um, I think that there's some things that can only be learned from like living them. So um, yes, yeah, so she was willing to um, attend my birth and she works with, um, a non-Amish doula who um, is also a midwife, um, I believe a midwife in training. And so they were both willing to attend me. And um, I was just so thankful because that was kind of a, like a leap of faith for them because um, it was uh, just, it's so taboo, you know, to have a VBAC at all, but especially on a classical scar and then home birth is also taboo. So we kind of just did it. Um, we kept it quiet, I guess. And I was just so thankful to have them. Um, it just worked out so well. They were just in the answer to my prayer and um, it just happened so effortlessly the way that it worked out. So I felt like it was really right in that because um, I had considered just having an assisted birth if I couldn't find a midwife. So I just felt like it was God um, showing me it was okay to have help and that they were there to help me. So, and they really were. I, um, I just am so glad I had them. There was also a Amish woman who, um, in their community, who had had a V-bag on an inverted T, I believe it was. She had three home births after an inverted T. And it was because of her kind of paving the way that they um, were willing to accept me because they knew that it could be done. And um, so I was also extremely grateful to her. And um, we would write letters back and forth with her being Amish. And um, she just encouraged me so much. And she offered to attend my birth. And I was so happy to have her there as well. So I had um, the three of them. And um, they were amazing. So, yeah. And what my, sort of prenatal um, care did you get from... Yes, from I just want to get into that. Oh, awesome. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I would have uh, the doula um, attend um, me at home. I had the option to go to their um, Amish, you know, birthing clinic, but it wasn't exactly close. And I, I have what I call white coat syndrome. So I'm not sure if you're familiar with that term, but I just get very... Um, anxious, especially having my blood pressure taken ever since my first experience. Um, it will spike up even if it's not a true number just because they get so nervous. And um, so they were so willing to, you know, do things really laid back. And um, the doula would come, um, it, doula and midwife would come for um, home visits and they were just so laid back and relaxed and she would just you know, I would take my own weight, I would take my own blood pressure, and I would just relay it to her and um, let her know how I was doing with my diet. She knew I was doing a brewer diet, and um, 
any supplements I was taking as well. So it was pretty simple. We would talk about how I was feeling and um, she would do um, fundal height measurements as well and feel for the baby's position. So it was pretty much limited to that and it was really relaxed. My husband and daughter just sat in the living room with us and it was kind of just like a really laid back visit. So, and that was incredibly, I was incredibly thankful for that as well because they just from the beginning respected my wishes and um, my feelings and my kind of my trauma from everything that happened the first time. So yeah. Um, so um, on August 2nd, I was 38 weeks and two days and um, it was about noon when I felt my first contraction, but I didn't realize it was a contraction. I just wasn't sure. I thought um, surely I would go um, at least to my due date just because you hear so many women. Um, a lot of reasons cesareans are pushed because they go over their due date and then they're induced. And um, so I just kind of was preparing myself for that. And, um, and you've never been through the whole process before, so exactly you didn't yeah. know what was going to happen. Right. <laughs> um, and so they were, you know, I also didn't really feel that contractions were what had been described to me either. Um, they felt differently than what had been described to me. So it kind of just felt like very strong period cramps. And I had a lot of back labor. So like my lower back was where I felt the majority of the pain. And I don't even know if I would use the word pain when describing them, just intense pressure is kind of what it was. So, um, yeah, um, by evening they got more regular and I began to time them and realized that it, it could be labor. And I texted my um, doula and she said, you know, drink, I forget how much water, but a large amount of water within the next hour. And um, in case it was dehydration, but if they continued, then it probably would be real labor. And I'd be all the more well, well prepared and hydrated for labor. So that's what I did. But um, then I, I realized I was losing my mucus plug. And um, I had my water breaking. It felt like trickling down my leg a little bit. So, um, and by then it was probably 10 or 11 at night. And um, my two-year-old was already asleep in her room. So um, I was able to just labor um, quietly at night, just like I had hoped would happen. It actually all happened exactly how I'd wanted because um, I kind of just didn't want to be bothered during my labor as much as I loved my midwives and my birth team. Um, I just felt like I needed my own space and um, I wanted to be alone as much of the labor as possible. And um, that really worked out well for me. They were willing to kind of wait until I asked them to come. And um, by about somewhere like two in the morning, um, I've been laboring and uh, with my husband, he was putting a heating pad on my lower back for me and pushing it every time I'd have a contraction to give me the counter pressure. And that helped a lot. Um, and then I would also go to the shower and just let the hot water run down my back. So that's kind of how I labored for most of the night. And then by about um, probably two or three in the morning, I, I let them know how they were getting more intense and closer together. It was harder to, you know, talk through them and work through them. So um, we agreed it was a good time for them to come. And uh, they arrived at my house probably about like 5 a.m. because, you know, there were three different directions, I think. And um, the I live a little bit of a distance from the Amish country. So um, by the time they arrived, they offered to do a cervical check. And um, I was comfortable with that. I wanted to see kind of where I was. So I agreed to that. And, um, I, I told her though I didn't want to know where I was because I didn't want to discourage me if I wasn't very far dilated. Um, but after she did the check, she said, I really don't think you're going to be disappointed. Would you like me to tell you? And I said, yeah. And she said, you're nine centimeters. And I was just thrilled. I was like, I already have come so far. This has already paid off. Like all my hard work, I just feel like it already begun to pay off. And um, it was such an amazing feeling. Um, she said she could feel... Um, the baby's head kind of beneath the bag of water. So she says they could break my waters for me or I could wait and just let that happen naturally. And I wanted to wait. I wanted to do everything as um, free of intervention as possible. So I continued laboring and um, my waters broke naturally on their own. 
it was shortly after that that I, I felt like I could start pushing. So um, I did. And by um, 9.17, it was that my second daughter was born, 9.17 in the morning. So I think it was like a 21-hour long labor. And um, yeah, she was nine pounds, four ounces, and 20 inches long, 20 and a quarter inch long. So um, obviously very big weight difference for my first daughter. I just yes, felt it's like, a nice um, healthy size. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was funny the, um, before we weighed her, because we were just, um, I had expressed to them, I had written up a birth plan and it expressed how I just wanted as much like undisturbed time as possible. Mm -hmm. Like the weight check could wait. I just needed to um, just kind of bask in that like that first hour or two after having her um, uninterrupted. And it was really amazing to be able to have that. And um, so we were taking guesses of how much she weighed before we weighed her. And my husband said he guessed like seven pounds midwife's first body. <laughs> And I said, oh, no, it's at least nine. <laughs> yeah, so we started breastfeeding immediately, and um, we, we did delayed cord clamping, so I was able to um, cut the cord myself after it had gone white and stopped pulsing. And um, we got some pictures of her still attached to the placenta, and um, it was just so surreal. I just laid there, so, like with tears in my eyes saying like, I did it. I actually did. It. I just couldn't believe that, you know, cause I was just trusting God and I had a lot of um, confidence, but I also knew that, you know, I didn't, I didn't know how it would turn out until it happened. So it was just amazing to have that result. And meet your beautiful baby. Did you know what you were having? No, no, we actually didn't have any ultrasounds. That's another thing about my pregnancy. I, I didn't want any ultrasounds. So, um, so you basically didn't do any blood tests? Right, nothing, right. Yeah. So just a personal choice of mine, you know. Yeah. Um, I think it's perfectly fine to do so, and if you're not comfortable with it or you don't deem it necessary, it's um, up to you if you're in charge of your own pregnancy. So, mm -hmm. yeah, that was my decision, so when and my midwives were okay with that. So. And, w and when she was born, then it was announced as a girl as well. Right. I actually said um, I would like them to not announce so that I could see for myself because um, that was just something else important to me. I just, I just wanted to be in control of as much as I could, you know, yeah. not in a crazy controlling way, but just having that like peace and um, things being laid back and not happening without me um, being able to like soak it in, I guess. So. And this was your birth that you yeah. were in control of and you made the, you called the shots this time and Right. Yeah. You know, you wanted to be the one that was going to do this as your baby. So, you know, why not? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So they passed her to me and kind of set her legs and said, that's what you have. And um, I was just in shock that she was a girl because the whole pregnancy had been neutral thinking it could be either a boy or a girl. But the mm -hmm. last week before I had her, I just had a bunch of dreams that she'd be a boy. And I kind of convinced my husband as well. So we were very surprised she was another girl, but very, very uh -huh. happy. And, um, yeah, so that was definitely a surprise. And she had a head full of uh, dark hair, dark curls, and that was a surprise as well. Just my first daughter didn't have a lot of hair, neither did my husband or I, so um, it was just amazing to meet her, and she was so alert. Um, and my uh, oldest daughter woke up just in time. To, um, she slept through the whole thing. I was, couldn't believe it, because I was screaming and not being very quiet. Um, but it was amazing. She just got to come see her. She was still attached to the placenta, um, just laying on my chest. And that's how she got to meet her baby sister. So it was really cool getting to have that family-oriented experience. How long did it take for the placenta to come out? I don't know exactly the timing. My, my midwife wrote it down. She has those records. But I wasn't really paying attention. Um, it was not very long. I'm sorry. I can't mm. tell you for sure. But it, it was, you know, I was, there was no concern. Right, no concern at all. Yeah. So. Oh, that's good. And how yeah, was your healing? I'm no caring right, um, either with a, with right, a nice, was, healthy sized baby. That's awesome. Yeah, yes. Um, my midwife helped a lot with um, just like some oil, you know, as I was pushing. And um, I think that helped tremendously. So, um, 
yeah, my recovery, I was pretty sore because I did push for a while and um, I had a long labor. So I was pretty exhausted because neither my husband and I had slept all night. So we had been out for like 30 hours. And um, so I think my body was just pretty exhausted initially. But um, all in all, my recovery was really, really well. The, I think it was like three or four days after I had her, I was like walking down to my neighbor's house and showing her off, walking down the street. So I felt really good, especially um, in comp comparison to the cesarean, you know, just there's not really a comparison in my mind as far as yep. the recovery. So. And you're six weeks yeah. out and how are you feeling now, six weeks later? Awesome. About everything. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I just, I think of it like every day and I just think I can't believe I did that. I can't believe it happened. Thank you. Thank you, God. Because, you know, I just, I had the daily, um, take my fears to God and pray and just relinquish my fear to him because um, it was, you know, I didn't even think I would carry full term. I didn't know that I would be able to. So that in itself was a blessing. Then to be able to have the V back that I so badly wanted, you know, I just had always been fascinated with natural birth and um, I just couldn't accept that I was, you know, restricted to cesareans forevermore, like not even getting to experience that. And then um, whenever you consider the, health risks to repeat cesareans and versus the benefits of natural birth um i just couldn't take no for an answer so it was just amazing to be able to have that outcome i'm so glad that you ended up having you know this wonderful experience that you wanted and you felt like you you know this was what was meant to be and that you had that you know you had something to believe in as well um you know you mm -hmm. you put your trust in god some people put their trust in God, some people put their trust in the universe or, you know, whatever it is that, you know, we have to have something that we put our trust in, whether it's ourselves or a higher being and, mm -hmm. you know, really bringing those positive vibes and energy in and kind of reframing, you know, the scariness and the fear that can right. sometimes pop up, which is, I think a lot of uh, women who are V-backing find anyways and, and then any mm -hmm. special scar adds an extra layer of course um yeah you know yeah. obviously in the special scale group you know because we're special yeah <laughs> and so <laughs> but we're not just a normal feedback we're special so then it adds like an extra layer so it takes an extra amount of courage to then um you know do something that is yeah. not mm -hmm. in inverted commas the normal kind of thing in our medical system and and um you know not get got that medicalized support so I'm really glad that you found, you know, the midwives for you and, and that support system and that you had a safe and healthy delivery of your beautiful baby. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Uh, I also wanted to mention that during my pregnancy, um, during my pregnancy, um, I connected with you online through the group. And um, I think it wasn't just like a comment you had said. Um, I, I admired the way you spoke of your VBAC, that you are going to have a home birth and um, instead of I'm planning a home birth. And I just, I remember telling you I loved that language and you said, yes, you need to um, have confidence that you're going to do this. You know, your body is made to do this. And um, so that really encouraged me to um, like not look at myself as a VBAC, just as a woman that has all the working parts and I'm going to have to do the normal way and um you know just thinking of yourself as healed and um telling yourself that it's going to happen not that you're planning to have it happen and I think that tremendously helped with my confidence um in the later stages of my pregnancy approaching my VBAC. I think language is so important and you know quite often we say I will breastfeed if I can I will yes. I'm planning on having a vaginal birth or I'm planning on having a home birth and we all know that there's a risk of that not happening you know none of us mm -hmm. are deluded into the fact that you know we may end up in hospital or we may end up having right. this sort of outcome um, right. but having that positivity and actually saying it because then in your mind we're saying no this is this is happening this is what I'm planning this is what I'm visualizing this is what's happening we, we always know in the back of our mind that there's always you know something another path that we can journey down but yeah I really think it's right. important the language and someone said that to me 
you know years ago and so I've really taken that on this pregnancy and and, yeah, I'm glad it, I'm glad it inspired you because I really yeah. loved following your journey. I thought you were so amazing and so courageous and strong and um, just seeing, you know, connecting with other women in those groups yeah. and seeing yeah. them inspires other women to have the courage, which, like you said, with the VBAC podcast, you know, that podcast inspired me to investigate a VBAC after two cesareans. Mm-hmm. And so from them, them women creating that which is two doulas who have created it you know yes. gave me the strength but then I had to move on to home birth because it's not really anything for home birth it's a lot of uh hospital births and so mm-hmm. then I've created this podcast you know for women who are home birthing and yes. it's just amazing how these things kind of snowball and it's amazing how many women are out there who wants to have a VBAC home birth and how many yes. special scars there are out there who were just not getting that support and attention right. in the medicalized right. a lot of the time so right. really important yes to i'm so um excited about your podcast um i just think it's awesome to get the word out there like this you know because for the longest time i you know i was so dejected and thinking that that would just not i guess be a possibility for me i, I couldn't think about it for you know initially because um I just had to put all my attention towards helping my daughter to get healthy and get out of the NICU. But, um, you know, there was a long span of time where I just had no answers and everyone told me, you know, well, you know, family members, like my mom was really supportive and saying, um, you know, you never know. And there, you know, that could still happen for you someday. So, cause she knew how much I wanted to have a natural birth. And, um, but, you know, as far as like the medical side of things, I was just told that was never going to happen. So, um, yeah, and it yeah. wouldn't have in, in that, in that, in that environment. Exactly. So congratulations on your beautiful birth and your postpartum. And I hope you have a wonderful, you know, years to come with your beautiful babies. And if you decide to go in and have plenty of children, like, you know, you imagined, We'll be here for, you know, hearing more stories from you as well in the future. So thank, thank you, you so, so much for much. sharing your stories. Yes, thank you so much for the opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the VBAC Home Birth Stories podcast. I hope that this episode has helped you take another step to finding your voice and confidence in your VBAC journey. If you enjoyed the episode, please take a second to rate and review. Each review helps us to help more women to find out more about VBAC Home Birth, just like you. Don't forget to take a screenshot, share it to your Instagram stories and tag me at The Motherhood Circle. See you next week.